Hi, everyone. I'm Tony Denbach, and I'm the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the communities of the Georgian Triangle. Thank you for checking in today. So what is the main thing? Have you ever thought about that question? I'm speaking today about priorities. Now, frankly, we live in a culture that has its priorities incredibly out of focus. Too often, we see people throwing their integrity out the window for the sake of short-term indulgence. Too many people take the easy way out of their difficulties and their situations. And the question they ask themselves is not what is right, but what is easy? So we're continuing today in our series on Luke, and we're now at the end of Luke chapter 9. Jesus has been speaking lately about his coming sacrifice, which is about four months down the road at this stage. Often people look at this event as something that Jesus got caught up in and just could not avoid. But it wasn't that way at all. As we look at the testimony of the four gospel writers, we see revealed to us a carefully thought out plan by Jesus to carry out all that the Father had given him to do. So I want to look at the background first. I'm breaking our text into two sections this week, but as we look at our first, beginning in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, let's remember what has preceded this statement. Jesus had just come through one of the most popular parts of his ministry. In Galilee, he had gained acceptance as a prophet of God. The people didn't know who he was, but they liked him. He had healed the sick, even raised the dead, fed the hungry, and taught the crowds. And because of this, he had gained a huge following of people. In the world's eyes, he was hugely successful. At this stage, he could easily have run for mayor in his hometown, or he could have allowed the people to make him king, as they tried to do. But Jesus was not looking to be successful in the eyes of people. He was looking to please his Father. Now, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. That's Luke 9, 51 through 55. Now, this is a curious section of scripture, if you note the success of the previous few days. See, Jesus' ministry was going well. Why would he need to gather up his courage to go to Jerusalem, a Jewish city? See, here's why. Jesus knew what awaited him. Have you ever wanted to know the future? Have you ever wanted to catch a glimpse of what your life would be like in a year, two years, or even a month? A lot of people want to know. So they go to palm readers. They go call the psychic hotline. They want to know. Well, Jesus did know. See, this was the man who said to the Jewish leaders before Abraham was, I am. He knew the events that would unfold in advance. So if you could see the future and you knew something bad would happen to you, would you change things? Chances are you would. But Jesus, seeing the future, 
realizing that this part of his ministry would see him rejected by most, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You see, Jesus knew his purpose. Can you imagine what you could do with the power that Jesus had? You could call down fire on people. In fact, as we noticed in verses 52 through 54, Jesus sent messengers ahead into Samaria to prepare a place for him, but the people in Samaria refused because they heard he was going to Jerusalem and they didn't like Jerusalem. So what did the disciples say? They asked Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on them out of heaven? Now, can you hear the disciples? Jesus, can you believe those Samaritan dogs won't give you a place to rest? Who do they think they are anyway? Don't they know who you are? Wipe them out, Jesus. You can do it. And he could have. Jesus could have done a lot of things. See, he could have wiped out slavery. That's a worthy goal. For centuries, people had been bought and sold like animals to the highest bidder. It was a disgusting institution that's actually still in place in some parts of the world today. He could have wiped it out, but he didn't. Well, why not? He had bigger fish to fry. See, Jesus knew that he could have broken the physical chains of people and set them free from their human masters, and they would have rejoiced. But in spite of their physical freedom, they would still be bound up in their sins, tied up in chains of lust, greed, and hate, and innumerable other enemies. He could have also liberated the Jews. That would have assured him of a lot of friends. See, his nation was a nation that was bound to the power of Rome. With his power, it would have been easy to break the yoke of oppression and bring Rome to its knees. But one of the greatest empires in history was still small potatoes to him. See, the evil power of Rome was only a dim reflection of a satanic power that had bound men's hearts since the Garden of Eden. That was who he was after. Jesus was preparing for a showdown with the one enemy that no man born in sin could handle. Jesus would fight the battle that only he could win. So he gathered up his courage and he set his face towards Jerusalem. See, Jesus knew the price that he would have to pay. This was probably the most difficult thing of all. It's one thing to know what you're facing. It's one thing to know your purpose. It's entirely another to know what you're going to have to suffer to get there. See, Jesus was the Son of God, yes, but he was also flesh and blood. When he was hurt, he was hurt like we are. He felt real pain. See, we quake when we think about going to the dentist. Well, think about going to the cross. In this scripture, Jesus was still about four months away from his crucifixion, but he knew that his actions would start the chain of events that would eventually lead him to climb a hill called Golgotha to hang spread-eagled on a cross. He didn't run. He didn't hide. He resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem and faced the greatest challenge of his life. Now, there are some parts of scripture that I just love to read, they're comforting, and they're encouraging, and all of that good stuff. But there are also parts of Scripture that really mess me up. Now, some of the parts that mess me up the most were some of the sayings of Jesus. And we're going to look at one section of Scripture in particular where it seemed like Jesus was deliberately trying to get people 
to leave him or not to follow him. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you'll find that this was often true. You see, the crowd would grow, and there would be thousands of people following him, and then Jesus would turn to them and say stuff like what he said in John chapter 6 and verse 53. He said, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Well, that's just creepy. <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that? They didn't yet know that his body would be broken and his blood poured out for our sins and that we would share communion together, a representation of his body, not his actual body. Well, Jesus didn't make it easy for people to follow him. And the next section of scripture found in Luke 9 makes it look like Jesus is actually trying to talk three men out of following him. Now, I want to read that section, and then I'll break it down. It starts in Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. And it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, in these difficult verses, we see three characteristics of Jesus' worth. First of all, Jesus is worthy of all our trust. See, this first man tells Jesus that he will follow him wherever he goes. And Jesus doesn't say, great, welcome aboard. He basically says, I'm not going anyplace comfortable. There's no holiday inn on this road. See, Jesus wasn't heading to a barbecue. He was going to his death. This Jesus that we follow was willing to go to a cross for our salvation. He was willing to sacrifice everything in order to give us a brand new start and a new life. And to follow him is to understand that walking with him is not going to be easy, but it's worth it. Now, Pastor David Platt, an American pastor, was visiting a closed country and had the opportunity to visit an underground or secret church in Asia. He was asked to share from the Bible. He thought it would be a half an hour or so, like a North American message. He started teaching, and when he would try to stop, they would urge him to keep going. Eight hours later, it was too late to continue. They told him that they would like for him to share again the next day. He said, all right, maybe we can set something up for tomorrow night. And they said, no, no, we want to start first thing in the morning and go until the evening. So he said, okay. And the next day, he started teaching from Nehemiah chapter 8. And he talked about the importance of the word and some of the background of the book of Nehemiah. Well, they took a short break and some of the leaders came to him and they said that they had never heard about the background of the books. And they wondered if he could do that with the whole Old Testament. And he said, well, that will take a long time. And they said, that's okay. So he gave an overview of the Old Testament and then started looking at it book by book. So he worked his way through over a period of a few days, teaching 11 hours a day, every day, as those people took notes. And he finished up with only one day left on his trip. 
And one man raised his hand and said, Pastor, what about the New Testament? So off he went for the rest of that day and the next. The people were so hungry for God, sitting there all day, some of them on the floor for days, taking notes. They love the word. It's all they have. And to them, it's worth risking their lives to know more. Imagine that you are being taken to a worship service at one of these underground churches. You're driven to a secret location in an isolated village. You put your hood up to cover your face as you go from the car to a little room about the size of our stage at church, maybe 20 by 30, crammed with 60 believers. There are a few stools, but most sit on the floor. There's one electric light bulb hanging from the ceiling. They say, we want to pray and worship, but we'd like for you to teach for at least two hours. Pastor Platt said this. He said, we think, what can we send them? What can we do to help them? He said, the Holy Spirit is doing just fine without the money and the resources that we fill our churches with. Somewhere along the way, they've gotten the idea that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are enough for the people of God to enjoy and to spread the worship of God. And the church grows by leaps and bounds. Jesus is worthy of our trust. If the only thing we ever get is our relationship with him, it's enough. Jesus is enough for them. Is he enough for us? See, if we had no building, no programs, and no resources, he is enough. In our wealth and our prosperity, we can easily lose sight of that. Secondly, we see that Jesus is worthy of all our plans and dreams. In Luke 9, 59 and 60, we read that he, Jesus, said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and pre proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, what Jesus said sounds downright rude. See, there's a difference of opinion about this verse. Scholars are divided on whether or not the man's father had already passed away or was simply elderly. So was he saying, I need to go home and actually bury my father? Or was he saying, I need to take care of my father until he dies? That's more likely. But either way, Jesus' answer makes us sit back and go, what? See, I still remember when my father passed away. It's been almost 30 years now. I can't imagine not being allowed to bury him and to sing and, and speak at his funeral, to say my goodbyes. Yet Jesus is saying that when you follow him, you receive a plan, a dream, an obligation that supersedes anything else in life. See, over the centuries, men and women have heard the call of God to go and preach his gospel to the world. And they've said goodbye to moms and dads and brothers and sisters and friends and gone to live among a hostile people they didn't know for some because Jesus said to go. They surrendered their plans and their dreams, their hopes and their wishes, and they followed Jesus where he led. Now, many of them would hear, perhaps weeks or months after the fact, that their parents were dead and buried. Many of them would lay down their own lives for the sake of following Christ. It's still happening all over the world, even today. Like, I read an article recently about the church in Iran a few years ago, government officials showed up at a church in Tehran and demanded that all of the members show up at the police station and present their names and their personal details 
for their records. Now, this was obviously an intimidation tactic. And people thought that maybe a hundred or so people would come forward, but over 700 showed up and the line stretched around the block. They gave their names and their addresses and they said, here we are, here's where we stand. We follow Jesus Christ. Now, the Islamic Republic of Iran ranks number eight on Open Doors USA's World Watch list. It's a compilation of countries most resistant to Christianity. Now, under Iran's harsh apostasy law, anyone from a Muslim background who becomes a Christ follower can face the death penalty. Now, even if they escape that, Operation Mobilization says for Muslims who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there are often huge obstacles and problems. They'll lose their jobs, their bank accounts are frozen, and in general, life becomes very difficult. But here they were, lining up to declare their faith. Why is that? Jesus is worthy of all our plans and dreams. They have found someone worth living and even dying for. What happens when we are free from the pursuit of more and better stuff? What happens when our resources are truly placed at his disposal? Well, the world is changed. We don't have time to waste our lives coasting out casual Christianity. The third thing I want to say about this is that Jesus is worthy of our affection. See, in verses 61 and 62, Luke said, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this obedience that Jesus calls for is so radical. He says, You don't look back. This is about the heart. It's a question for all of us, really. It's a question I have to ask myself every once in a while. Does Jesus have my whole heart? Is he more important than anything else in my life? See, the Bible says that Jesus claims first place. Well, does he have it? We've made Christianity far too much of a hobby and not so much about a calling. See, we allow him into our circle of influence so that every once in a while we can be moved emotionally or influenced by one of his profound teachings. But he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. In other words, follow him and die. Die to ourselves, our hopes, and our dreams, and surrender ourselves to his plans and his purposes. God so loved the world that he gave. He is worthy of all our affections. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told in Matthew 13, 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, I want you to catch that. He went and sold all that he had. Everyone would have thought that he was absolutely nuts. Here was a lifetime's worth of stuff, things that he had collected, perhaps made himself over the years, but here he sells it all to buy a piece of land. But if you look, you could see the glint in his eye. You see, he knew that it was worth it. He knew that what was in that field was worth everything else in his life. And so he sold out to get it. Now that's what Jesus is worth. Everything you've got and more. He created you for himself. And you will never be truly satisfied without him. He is worthy of your affection. 
So is he the center of everything? Is he more important than anything else in your life? When he becomes the center, everything changes. It doesn't matter what the question is that he asks. The answer is always yes, a thousand times yes. We go where he leads. We give what he asks because he is worthy. There's no one and nothing that can compare to Jesus Christ. He's not just an answer. He is the answer. He's the only one. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended on high. He purchased our freedom, only him. He is worthy of our affections. Will you follow? Now, if you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, I would encourage you to reach out to us at clearviewcommunity.church. We would love to speak with you. Now, I would encourage you today, if you would, to pray with me. Dear God, I thank you for each one who is listening today. I pray that you would speak to each and every heart. I pray that those who do not know you yet would see how much you love them and what you have done for them. While we have all failed, we have sinned. You gave your life, Jesus, to pay for our sin. Thank you. May we willingly declare that you are Lord of all. Amen. So go from this place with the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us, he has found us, and he has redeemed us. Be inspired by his grace, humbled by his love, and empowered by his spirit. Let him live in you and through you. May you be his hands and his feet in a world in need. God bless. Thanks for listening.